Hello, welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we have a chat with Howard Lake, known for publishing the UK fundraising website as a fundraising trainer and many years of digital fundraising experience and expertise. Howard and I spoke in a noisy coffee shop, as usual, about the future of fundraising. We asked the question, what will the future hold for fundraising, for charities and the causes they work for? Howard and I spoke about a number of things, including tech innovations, innovations in how we talk to our supporters and beneficiaries, and essentially what charities can do to embrace the future, the evolution of technology, and create more value for their supporters and beneficiaries too. So, without further ado, here's Howard Lake speaking about technology and the future of fundraising. With Howard Lake. Welcome to Chat to Chat, Howard. Thank you very much indeed. And we spoke, the last time we spoke was probably a few years ago. It right was. At the beginning of Charity Chat. Uh, I think we talked about social media, and, uh, and that was fantastic. I'm really pleased that you're here yeah. again. That's well, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear the Charity Chat is doing so well with so it many is. subscribers. Do you want to say just how many you've got? Yes, yeah, so we've got about 10,000 now, 10,000 listens to our podcast, and, uh, and going up all the time. And I think it's you know largely because of the guests we have, people like yourself as well. So uh, our, our audience are very interested. And we're, we're talking today about the future of fundraising. And uh, I, am, as a fundraiser myself, I'm, I'm constantly grappling with this, what is the future, what is next, and what can uh, what can I do to raise funds for my charity? So, um, yeah, I suppose we've, there's, there's a lot. You're, I suppose starting off, though, you know, you've got a heap, heaps and heaps and heaps of knowledge. You, you set up um, UK fundraising back in the 90s. So you were kind of a pioneer, I'd say, regarding uh, online and, and understanding fundraising and making, giving that information out to an audience of fundraisers in the country, throughout the country, throughout the world. Sure, yes. Um, I was very lucky, right place, right time. So I've been really lucky to watch and report on um, what so many fundraisers have done or not done uh, with digital tools to fundraise. So not just asking, not just uh, sort of the online fundraising platforms, but all the elements of digital uh, right from the beginning thinking about how does this help in terms of professional development, how does it help in terms of learning about technical technology and legal changes, um, as well as, yeah, how to fundraise, what works, what doesn't. You train fundraisers now as well, is this right? Yes, I mean, the joy of of publishing a news and comment website about digital fundraising is that I get to learn lots as well. I learn by writing and listening to others' um, achievements. So I have always, from the beginning of UK fundraising, been trying to share that either via consultancy, but mostly via training, training charities, fundraisers and charities, large and small, in the huge number of different digital fundraising opportunities and tips and tricks out there. Fantastic. And uh, and also you're, you're a fellow of the Institute of Fundraising, a co-founder of Bar Camp Nonprofit, and founder of a fundraising camp as well. So heaps. So you're a pretty busy guy. That's right. I try to do stuff in the real world as well as digital. So actually getting to meet fundraisers, listen to them, watch their presentations, yeah. listen to their podcast as well. Um, 
Yes, there have been lots of other things. So you'd hope I've done something in the last 25 years as well as run run the website. So these, these physical events are, are great fun and they're doing really well because I see so many other fascinating new formats for events, which I think is really encouraging for the sector. And so all this time you've spent um, in fundraising, teaching fundraising, learning about fundraising, I suppose, as well, uh, are there things that you've seen? Has, have you seen a huge change in the last 20-odd years? Are things speeding up now? Or is, it kind of an, is evolution speeding up in terms of fundraising? Or? It's certainly evolution. And that's at times, I think, at the beginning, I expected a massive change. Digital would, would change the world. Sure. And it has... But in the fundraising sector, it's, I would definitely say it's been more evolution. Yeah. Not that we can't look back with pride on the way fundraisers have grappled with digital challenges and technology challenges, and they're now just part of everyone's lives. So I think we've done very well, but there's no huge change, apart from some outstanding ones like you know, the introduction of digital platforms like Just Giving, um, Virgin Money Giving, and so on. Yeah. Those have changed it and raised literally billions in the case of Just Giving. Uh, now owned by Blackboard, uh, but yeah, I think there's there's much more to do, and and I would certainly say the pace has changed. Yeah. Just the pace of learning, the pace of opportunities, and the ability to learn from more fundraisers faster. Sure. And that's a great thing, but crikey, that's a challenge. It's it's managing that information and winnowing and sifting the really good stuff. Absolutely. And I, I suppose you know we're here talking on a podcast, and this would have this is an. App. Kind of aspect, or you know, one of those things that's changed in that time, isn't it? Podcasts have become more prevalent and, and uh, listened to, and, and you know, certainly the charity chat thing um, is, is around giving free advice, which we didn't, you know, essentially wasn't as available in a few years ago. So that's a good, good sign. Absolutely, well. and in a, such a usable format yeah. um, for wherever you are. Absolutely. So you don't need a big screen in front of you. It can sit in your pocket on the train home, on the bus home. Uh, it's that's what's so good. There are so many different channels that share fundraising advice and experience, and so many that are useful in different different formats. So yes, hurrah for, for podcasts. And there are different. I suppose there are different motivations uh, for the evolution of anything and and I suppose in fundraising we've seen some of the negative uh, things in the media you know the last few years 2015 was a particularly tough year for charity the charity sector and I suppose that that then uh, pushed um, or motivated change within um, the the way that charities speak to supporters certainly um, the data protection acts that we've had and uh, the ICO guidance and all of these things regulation fundraising regulation has all come off the back of a lot of these negative things and that in itself is a kind of an evolution of, of fundraising isn't it so um, and, and do you think that that's is that kind of an undercurrent for the use of technologies now in fundraising do you think or it's all part of it. I think it's another challenge, but actually I think most fundraisers, including myself, came round to the notion that the certainly the new requirements are actually a huge opportunity, a positive opportunity, um, to, to do what donors want more um, to, and to balance their needs against those of the charity. To, be, to offer increased transparency, nothing that we shouldn't be afraid of or shouldn't be surprised by, by and if that meant we were pulled towards it, um, so be it. So yes, it's it's part of this change, and particularly rapid change in the last three or four years. Um, but but overall, welcome change, um, as far as I can see.
been in touch with a couple of charities that have been using virtual reality recently, which is amazing. They're, they're putting supporters in environments where they get to meet the beneficiary through virtual reality or they get to see the, the situation that they're asking supporters to support them with um, in virtual reality. I mean, is this, is this going to grow, do you think? Is this something that more charities are going to be involved in? I imagine it is. I'm going to say that it's just part of, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the experience culture or the, the focus on experience rather than just simply being told or shown something. Sure. And that has ramifications in the physical world and in virtual reality. So virtual reality, yes, there is just no limit to the experiences that can be provided and they are often very, very moving to actually literally walk in someone else's shoes um, or rather virtually walk in someone's shoes um, is an astonishing experience that we've not been had the ability to offer at scale or to, or to repeat that without paying large sums of money to transport people to wherever your project is. Equally, there are the wonderful physical uh, experiences such as immersive theatre, the sort of likes done by Punch Drunk and so on, and the, the various charities that are offering donors physical experiences um, in a, whatever, a big abandoned building in central London or Manchester or something. Yeah. And those are fascinating as well. That's new and, and part of giving donors a far more physical, almost an essential experience um, of giving and the impact that giving gives. And I think I've, I've read somewhere that... Um, especially younger audiences are looking for those experiential responses to their giving and, 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 you know, kind of in terms of charities looking for, you know, the reciprocal relationship with their supporters that they, they should be thinking in some cases about, especially with younger audiences, giving that kind of experiential aspect of it rather than just the maybe transactional uh, aspect of it. I think that's true and I'm sure it's not just younger people. I think donors now expect more and quite rightly expect more where is my money going yeah 10 15 years ago you know a nice annual report a personal letter yeah. from the chief exec may well have been sufficient it's not now we know we can see scenes from around the world live um, from friends or via news organizations on any device within reach and if we're going to be convinced the charities are using our money effectively creatively um, and with you know valuable impact then fair enough I think we need to be able to offer such sense-based uh, experiences do you think that charities could be should be learning from from the commercial sector and are there learnings that they can take I think there are, not least because the commercial sector is mostly fortunate in able, being able to test some of these opportunities. Some of them are, are dead ends, absolutely, and it's good that companies can uh, spend their money mistakes. on that, yeah. Um, yeah. and charities follow slightly behind. But I think what fundraisers have to always remember is that donors have an everyday life beyond the charity and are experiencing some of these organisations, offering them astonishing experiences through buying retaining or upgrading a product or, or a service and while I think the majority of the population will understand charities can't operate to that level they will still expect more from charities than perhaps charities currently offer and it's a difficult um, it's a difficult balancing out there I suppose though, because on the one hand uh, some audiences some supporters of charities would say we don't want 
charities to be spending our money on innovation potentially or on, on, on infrastructure we want to spend it on the projects but then from the sounds of it charities have a tough task of not investing in innovation if they want to keep up with maybe the evolution of, of a lot of other you know charities and tech technologies yes absolutely I think it was ever thus um, you know whether it's direct mail and the very latest direct market mailing tools and mailing house you know inserts and so on 20 years ago through to, to tech now um, yeah, I think just charities just have to ensure that they are as transparent as possible, that they do go the extra mile, because I think we need to be able to prove uh, that we can steward money effectively and that we do give us, bring astonishing change to the world, uh, which is often not recognised. And that's we're sometimes our own worst enemies at not conveying that convincingly and effectively to enough people. But yeah, I think that's just a, a, a part of being a charity. You will always get questioned for trying to innovate for trying to update stuff that currently works but you and I know might not be working in two, three, four years time so we therefore do need to check what's coming and think about it and that, that kind of long term thinking I suppose we, I've spoke, we spoke to uh, Giles Pegram last, in the last show and we've spoken to uh, Kathy Roddy in the past mm. as well about investing in fundraising and how you know, it should be seen as investing in you know, making that uh, pitch to your board if you're a small charity or a large charity that you need money to invest in fundraising and innovation business. and uh, and I suppose that's the uh, that's that's crucial not only in terms of generating more money but also in keeping up because from the sounds of it um, there's a potential that in a few years time charities will have needed to have embraced new forms of fundraising and, uh, and new, new ways of uh, donor stewardship in order to, to maintain where they are, let alone to, to grow. Possibly, but equally it may be just simply a case of doing what they do now better. That still requires skills and investment um, and retaining fundraisers to make sure the best ones don't move on quickly after, is, as is so often our won't. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it need not be always moving on to the next thing but just spending money and time bringing on, finding the right fundraisers. And at least another issue is obviously that we're benefiting from is the belated but welcome focus on diversity and trying to change the, the look and feel of, of fundraisers to find the right fundraisers, whoever they may be. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. But yes, it's to enable fundraisers to do to fundraise well and that isn't always the best technology almost certainly it's not the best the next technology it's the current stuff you're dealing with and just squeezing the most out of it as you can provided you're supported exactly as you say by the board yeah um, and by donors who understand that's how a business operates albeit a non-profit business Can uh, charities, small or medium or whatever size, where can they find support with maybe understanding the types of technology out there and how they can embrace that and, and make it work for them as a charity? I think they're spoiled for choice. But there are organisations, there are individuals. I think taking a step back, it's simply don't assume you have to struggle on your own. There is now a plethora of advice, most of it very good that you can access. Yeah. So obviously my background is, is the web, so digital written with a bit of uh, bit of video and so on. But now it's it's events, uh, 
some of the big, but also some of them small. There are so many informal groups of fundraisers who just get together because they've all hit the head against the brick wall, found challenges, and then found someone else who's experienced that um, and either solved it or at least is a another head to, to, to sort of share and, and try and work out, work through the problem together. So there really is. There's no excuse, there's so much good advice out there. Whichever social channel you use, or if you prefer just meeting in a coffee shop as we are now, to talk and listen and learn. Um, and if, if you genuinely cannot find a resource, um, create one yourself and ask people to come and join you. I see that happening all over the place. Uh, the Lead Social, I've got another great um, startup networking group. It doesn't just have to be the formal ones, informal works just as well ask and there will be a fundraiser who can help either with the answer or they can point you in the direction of, of someone who can help. That's how I learn all the time. I, I ask questions and I find fabulous fundraisers who can take, teach me stuff. One of the previous um, episodes we had, we talked about virtual events and we spoke to uh, Ed from a charity called Fight for Sight and he'd organised a, a virtual event where people could run listening to a, an a event narrative in their, in their headphones and kind of talking through, running, it's kind of running into the eye. And, and actually talking them through the eye, you know, it's incredible. And uh, things like that. And I think that's been taken a couple of times and people have kind of tried that in different ways. I suppose there's a lot of information out there and I guess uh, a lot of options for charities looking at, you know, being innovative. And are there, um, are there any kind of things that people should be asking themselves before they commit to pursuing a course of action, you know, in terms of prototyping or anything like this? I think it's not asking themselves, it's asking their donors. Just just carry on talking to your donors. Call them up where you can, invite them to events, listen to them, let them tell you what excites them, what do they do, how do they spend their day, how do they spend their spare time, what, what is something that really motivates them? Do they run? Do they swim? Do they knit? Do they love playing games, gaming, online gaming? Um, we've just seen Just Giving set up its own dedicated hub. Uh, Tiltify is big in, in the US and, getting, and appearing over here. Gaming is so huge, but it's not so much just gaming, it's, it's streaming. It's people's interest in sharing what matters to them and what they do, usually socially. Um, and their willingness to share that live with many other people, building whatever you want to call it, building a tribe. Sure. So that's what I think really matters. It's, it's do what you've always done, talk and lis listen to donors, and that will help guide you in terms of what approaches you adopt and what you think over the next three, four, five years is worth focusing on. And I suppose that, that speaks to this idea of being donor-centered, donor-centric, and, and uh, I, I know in the last episode we were talking, uh, Giles and I were talking about um, the two biggest online campaigns that I'm aware of, the uh, No Makeup Selfie <laughs> and the Ice Bucket Challenge. Yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone in the world's heard about those now. And they were both, I believe this is true, uh, they were both invented or started by supporters. Yes. And it was only subsequently the charities then took them on and marketed it and then became huge. So yeah. it goes to show, I suppose, there's another example of, it's, it's often the, 
the um, the man on the street or the woman on the street has the idea that really, really works, not necessarily the charity. So it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? And isn't that encouraging? I, I take great comfort from that as, as another impact, another change over the last few years. Any talented entrepreneurial individual supporters could probably do really well in their town and they'd probably put on a really good fundraising event, but it couldn't spread pre-social. Sure. It couldn't spread. Um, now it can. Yeah. And fine, those are quirky events. I hold them up as unusual events that did remarkably well. Yeah. But yeah, what can you learn from them? I think the fundraising lessons are a bit hard to, still to work out, except the ones I would focus on. As you say, it wasn't charity-led. Charities came in to point the direction and ensure the fundraising message was, was clearer and more straightforward. Um, but it was also very visual. Uh, so initially the no makeup selfie was static imagery, a photo, here's yeah. me taking part, and the ice bucket challenge was moving images, video. Sure. So that showed immediately the change, that actually people want to show themselves engaged, be part of the trend, um, and to show show their, their personal interest by being being present. It's not just adding the sport, it's not just adding their name to a petition or something. It's diving in, literally, getting their <laughs> head and shoulders wet, yeah. showing themselves having fun for a good mm. cause. And that is a really strong element. And that's carried through when I'm just mentioning streaming, live streaming of their gaming, but also their other things, live streaming of their playing board games. Sure. You can watch and donate to charity what watching almost anything these days. I remember, I think it was at Tiltify and another uh, great event, Charity Slam, they told us how people, there's, there are knitting circles of people knitting yeah. and streaming that live in aid of a charity. Yeah. So you can watch knitting live yeah. and donate. I mean, there is no limit to people sharing their passion with a much wider audience, but finding, finding their tribe and other people with a shared interest and choosing to do it for charity. So that to me is wonderfully comforting, uh, challenging how do charities operate when people are doing it themselves like that. It's finding them, it's knowing your supporters. It's, it's really it's amazing, isn't it, that we, we kind of, I suppose the culture's changed so much where there seems to be a sense, I don't know what, what it would be called, but where, where people are much more seemingly extrovert online than they might be in real life. But do you think there's more scope for people to start identifying themselves as someone that gives to charity? I see it sometimes anecdotally, you know, obviously the supporters that I've worked with in the charities I've worked for are doing that and I'm seeing that because they're communicating with me, but do you think that that will become a bigger part of people's identities in terms of this is me, this is what I'm doing, and, and is there maybe a role for charities to help them to do that? I mean, it's all about, I suppose, anything where they can stream what they're doing, if they're raising money for charity or, or talking about the charity while they're doing it. That, that's a kind of a connection with that, isn't there? But I, I don't know if it's growing that. I think that it just that has just morphed into using social channels to demonstrate their support. Um, in the past, it was wearing a lapel pin badge, sure. you know, with the street collectors or even collections. I remember at school, the lifeboat box coming round, and you got a pin to show that you donated. Then it became a sticky badge, and so on. Um, and then it became a, a charity wristband for all the various campaigns during the beginning of the two thousands. I think now social just gives people a much quicker, instant, easier way of showing their support. Some of it is giving financially, but others it's just giving time yeah. or, or just showing their involvement. And it is, it's belonging. 
it's belonging with an organization they trust, well not so much an organization, but a cause that they trust. Yeah. They belong to the cause, and I think that's one thing we should remember. It's seldom the organization itself. Right, okay. It's, the organization is a, is a means to an end sure. to individuals usually to make a difference and to be part of making that difference. I suppose that's, yeah, it made me think of two things. I suppose on the one hand, um, Again, this is anecdotal, so I don't know the stats out there, but um, I've seen a lot of fundraising departments becoming engagement departments, and in some cases I've seen that as a kind of, um, they're amalgamating the fundraising with the campaigning, with the uh, membership or whatever. So is, is that a trend, do you think? Is that something that more charities, is it because charities are seeing that as uh, fundraising is indicative part of campaigning and, and volunteering and membership and things like that or, or is it is it a kind of PR thing do you think I genuinely don't know in a way I suspect it matters very little to the supporters because uh, they support the organisation or sure. the cause and the organisation through that is it about time such change happened I think so on the grounds that those divisions were always slightly difficult to sustain because very few people were simply a donor. Quite often they were a beneficiary or the relative of a beneficiary or they were a campaigner or maybe even ex-staff or something. So I think people had often a range of different ways of relating to the cause and the organisation. So a flattening and a a recognition that these are blurred organizational silos I, I can see a, a very good reason to to end that uh, those silos and I suppose engagement at least does talk about I mean it seems to me you know you could you could argue perhaps that fundraising if that is it shouldn't be but if it is um, sometimes perceived by some charities as regularly asking and I've certainly worked in places and I've seen other charities who you know they the mantra really is you have to have an ask in every communication which I think is personally not a very positive thing right. and uh, and so if, if that is the case in, in some organisations of fundraising seems that then maybe the, the fundraisers feel a pressure to constantly be asking for money if it's an engagement maybe that change in uh, in term um, is maybe kind of a change in a, in a kind of terms of mantra and philosophy and engagement could be you know you've supported us would you like to volunteer or maybe we can come and see you or you can come and do this thing and it's kind of giving people a few more options without being pressured to donate I think it's positive I think it, it accepts that people want to give in different ways and at times don't want to give and want to take a break so yes whether engagement is the term that lasts or whether it rubs people's backs up and I yeah. say that only because literally about two hours ago I got, uh, someone got in touch with me complaining about the word engagement oh, okay. um, <laughs> saying that's just so much jargon and actually very very annoying just one person's yeah, experience yeah, yeah. so I, I think the term it's misused as well I it suppose does, it you does know, it's misused it's, a lot, yeah. so these terms come and go yeah. but I think insofar as it indicates an acceptance that people have that donors and supporters have a complicated and very personal relationship with the organisation and the cause I think that's all, that's all to the good and, and another thing you made me think of um, earlier was uh, so crowdfunding is obviously seems to be well it's, it's been around for a little while now and, uh, and my understanding of the benefits to the donor of crowdfunding is they see where their money goes straight away and they feel that they're cutting out a uh, maybe uh, an expense in terms of maybe a charity facilitating their donations to the cause. Um, 
is, is crowdfunding a threat to charities as we know it, do you think? Or is it a, maybe a benefit that charities can work with? I think it's mostly a benefit. I think, again, it's down to the, it's the individual, it's the donor, the supporter, choosing it where her or his money goes to and how. I think the important thing is, is the result, the impact of that money. And charities are usually pretty good at showing the impact, but can always improve. So I think if there's a threat, it's that more individuals don't recognise the value of having a, a professional, experienced organisation to implement, to spend that money effectively, sure. whereas crowdfunding for a new startup or for inexperienced people is perhaps not the best use of money. Equally, it, some of those may well succeed and go on to do things even better. So that's almost not, not a challenge. I, I would see it as an opportunity. It just means more people are open to the idea of giving. They may not choose to do it through a registered charity in the standard way, but in a way, so be it. That's yeah. how they choose to give. And I suppose maybe the in that case, the charity can liaise with the, the individuals that the fundraising is for and, and try and kind of broker it somehow or work with them to make it make it work better for them or something like yep, that. Yeah, exactly. And if, and if people get a better idea of how it is, what it's like to donate and they even get a, in crowdfunding terms, they get a, a, a benefit, that's no bad thing either. So, yeah, I, I, I suppose it is a, a threat, it's a challenge to, yeah. to respond to, but in general, anything that grows the amount of giving for, for social good um, and particularly in a convenient, effective and trackable way. Great, bring it on. Donor experience is something we've spoken about a lot on the on the podcast, especially over the last few months. It seems to be at the heart of um, a lot of charities thinking in terms of what, how can I retain my supporters rather than just going after more all the time and that you know, for want of a better term, the churn of supporters, which is a pretty ugly term. But, um, and I know that there are people out there, I think um, uh, Dr. Adrian Sargent, I've, I've uh, seen some of the, his stuff, and he's talking about retaining donors can be much more rewarding, financially rewarding um, for the charity, as well as for the donor, um, rewarding for them too, than going after um, constantly more funds. Can technology, does that offer some real hope for us as a, as a sector to be able to improve our donor retention, do you think, and donor experience? I would argue it does. Um, I feel um, if I'm following in the wake of, of Giles Pegram and given his commission on the donor experience um, and the work that, and the voluntary work that came out of that from so many fundraisers, um, I'm not quite sure what I can add to that. Except to point out that, I, that one element of the digital changes that I note is that hardly any of the platforms and new ways of giving focus on retention amongst donors. Most of them seem to be about acquisition, sure. doing something new, finding something new. And fine, that's, that's important. But I, I'd love to see a good, healthy, long list of digital platforms, tools that promote retention. Mm. Um, that, that's really quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, I'd love, love to see some of those. Well, maybe there's someone listening to this podcast with that idea. Indeed. Let us know if you know about it. Absolutely. So the next thing I'm planning to look at um, does indeed look at the future, uh, again based on the past, and that is to look at what I describe as the possibility of exponential growth in giving. Um, in other words, 
what is there anything we can do? Is there anything we've missed so far in the last 25 years of digital change in the sector that can actually grow giving on a massive scale? And I accept that sounds quite naive, but it is based on the fact that digital has disrupted and changed many industries. And I would argue that it hasn't yet changed giving. So in these days of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and understanding more about behavior insight and donor motivation, is there something out there? Are there people out there working on exponential growth in giving? So I've been spending the last six months or more talking to people around the world, trying to find people that are looking at something that really changes the amount of money given to good causes. And I won't just say registered charities, I'll accept it's a wonderful ecosystem of um, you know, B companies, companies mm. for-profit companies that still have a, a, a social en a benefit to social enterprises, to registered charities, campaigning bodies and anyone doing social good. We know the challenges are getting bigger, the challenges are more urgent, yet in the UK, giving across households has not grown, grown much over the last 10 years. Finally, that's partially because of austerity, but we could do far more. And yet our fundraisers are very talented, full of creative ideas. There have been changes, but it's not enough. So that's what excites me and motivates me at the moment. Um, so I hope to report back in due course on whatever happens. It may be a pipe dream, but I really think the sector should be thinking and working with anyone from within or without the sector that is, has this big idea of looking at, are there any gaps? What have we not seen? Yeah. Are there any opportunities to grow giving? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I know that um, I've seen, I think, a stat around since the 1940s, American GDP that's been donated to charities has been the same. I think it's been around 2%. Mm. And, uh, and that's since the 1940s. It hasn't changed, despite huge changes in the States. I know they give at a higher level than us Brits. Um, and, and yet, yeah, that's, that's stuck for 70 years at the same rate, which is a little bit, I suppose, although you could look at it the other way, maybe is it uh, the battle is keeping up? With that two percent, if we, if, if the, in the states the non-profit sector hadn't been investing, hadn't been becoming more professional as they have been, would they have dropped below that two percent? But it's, it's it's hard to know, isn't it? So, yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's just important to ask the question. Absolutely. Can we do far far better? Uh, if so, how? Who's going to do it? And what products are they? It's not so much ideas. It's actually ideas that are implemented mm. that will change giving on a substantial and I would argue exponential scale. Aim for the biggest gift, not just the biggest amount, not just a five or ten percent improvement over the next four or five years. Yeah. That's not going to solve all the problems we need to. Could it be that we're just stuck in a frame of mind? You know, is, is it that the the reality? We need to punch through the reality of what we think is always going to be the case and what we know and what we can see and do and, and push through it. Like, you know, there are people now, there are businessmen, there are um, out there, you know, Elon Musk, for example, inventing new forms of transport, you know, and, and really revolutionising uh, how we think about electric vehicles and inventing rockets and all sorts of things. It's exactly that. Uh, not least the use of an incentive prize. So SpaceX came out of the X Prize. Um, so there are these incentive prizes that put money up to attract individuals, groups, organisations, universities, whomever, to get from A to B. Mm. And A to B is a pretty big leap. So incentive prizes are also interesting to me um, for giving.
what should small charities be doing to prepare or survive the future world of fundraising? I think it's, it might sound twee to suggest it, but do the do the basics really, really well. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, elements of fundraising have not changed. Technology races ahead, it really does. You can't be in all places at all times and shouldn't be. So understand your donors. Make sure, do the best to promote regular giving, do your best to retain donors. I mean, it's stuff that we could have said were podcasts available 25 years ago. We could have been saying the same stuff. If they do that, they will do well enough. Yes, there are other opportunities that might be missing out on, but until you've got the basics covered, sometimes with technology, that's a good thing, um, then that's absolutely on limited time, budget, and access to skills. That's a pretty, I would suggest that's a pretty good approach for many small charities. Excel in doing the basics. Howard Lake, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat. Thank you very much. So there you go, dear listener. A big thank you to Howard Lake there for contributing once again to Charity Chat with some real sage advice for charities. Charities need to be listening to their supporters, developing those relationships and investing in their future in order to continue supporting their cause long into the future. With future fundraising, blue sky thinking, fundraising innovations, there's much to say. So I'm sure we will be asking Howard back for another interview very soon. We'll also be reaching out to charities and experts over the coming months to explore some of these innovations. We've already talked about virtual events. Do listen back for that one, there's a very interesting topic too. And looking at things like virtual reality, uh, is this being used by charities? We know it is, how's it being used? How could it be used by your charity to benefit your beneficiaries? So I hope you enjoyed this episode, dear listener. Perhaps you're using technology in your charity in an innovative way. Please do get in touch with us if you are and let us know how. We'd love to share that with our other listeners. Perhaps you have predictions for how fundraising will change in the future, good and bad. What can we do to meet those challenges and opportunities head on? Please do get in touch through our website, charitychat.org.uk. It's just left for me to thank you, dear listener, for listening and our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aximit for the beautiful website design. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. RR Yard Photography for lovely pro bono photographs they provide for our website and Forest of Fools who have been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. Thanks again for listening. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.